Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. We encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com. Pick the giving option that works best for you and help us to continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. It was about four weeks ago that um, Anna showed me a picture on Facebook and it rocked me to my very core. Now, for those of you that try to get a hold of me on Facebook, you will never get a hold of me on Facebook. You can get a hold of me at pastorhoopersr at gmail.com, but Anna's on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. But every once in a while, she'll show me something that she thinks cute about one of you guys or something going on in your life. Oh, you got to see this. So-and-so had a baby, all that kind of stuff. But about four weeks ago, she showed me a picture, and here it is. That's Pastor Andrew, his wife, Kayla, and their three kids. He's 30 years of age, and he pastors a large church in, I think it's Chino, California, I think it is. Am I right? And um, his father founded the church. His father died of leukemia at 55. Pastor Andrew's been a pastor for three years. He didn't make it a secret that he had suffered with and suffered from depression uh, for several years. Depression that led to some physical ailments. He had to have some surgeries. He took a sabbatical. Ended up passing, he says, over 60 kidney stones, if you can believe that. So, I mean, just one thing after another, if you can imagine, almost like a perfect storm. And four weeks ago on a Friday, he attempted to commit suicide while at his church office. On Saturday, the next day, he died. The community was shocked. The church community, even around the world, saw this picture and read this story, shocked. I began to do research on it. I began to read everything I could possibly read about his life, about his wife, about his kids. My wife's first comment was, if that was such a stressor for him, why didn't he take his beautiful wife and his three precious children and go anywhere else and do anything else rather than stay up underneath a pressure that would cause him to take his life? And I reminded him that there was no place that he could go without taking his problem with him. Because depression and mental health issues do not just stay in one place. They go with the person. There have been many things in the news about it. I called my brother up who pastors the Donellan Community Church in Florida. And I said, Rick, have you heard about this pastor, this 30-year-old guy that committed suicide? He goes, no, Dan, I haven't. I said, I'm sending you the article and I texted it to him very quickly. And uh, I said, he was suffering from depression. He said, that depression thing, that's a real thing. He said, it's no joke. He said, we have a pastor and his wife that have been in our community, Donellan, for many, many years. And six months ago, this pastor's wife killed herself. He said the community and the church all came around him at first, 
and to support him and to help him and to be there for him and get him whatever he needed. But he said now, a few months later, after his wife's death, many people in the church are blaming him and they'd like for him to just leave. A pastor wrote an article that ended up in Relevant Magazine about a year ago. And after Pastor Andrew's suicide death, they reposted this particular article. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a copy of it if you want it. Just contact me again, PastorHooperSR at gmail.com if you want the full, the full manuscript. But this was printed just a couple of days after Pastor Andrew committed suicide from another pastor who says this, I am a pastor and I struggle with depression. I know you're not supposed to say that as a Christian and certainly not as a pastor, but the truth is I have struggled on and off with depression for as long as I can remember. The problem is I grew up in a church where we didn't talk about mental health issues like depression. The result was a lot of confusion about what depression is and what it is not. For those of us who found ourselves in painfully dark seasons at times, the rhetoric, rhetoric seemed clear, real Christians are happy. At times this caused me to question whether my faith was real. Am I doing this wrong? Am I defective? Did my salvation not take? Had I somehow missed Jesus somewhere along the way? Other times it left me feeling very alone and confused, like a closet leopard, too afraid to admit my illness for the fear of being cast out. It's only been a recent years that I've been able to begin to realize just how common my struggle is. There are people in churches every week who are suffering. And if we're not talking about depression in our churches, chances are very good those people are suffering alone. The truth is there remains a lot of confusion about depression. If we won't address it, people will continue to misunderstand it. And when we misunderstand it, we make things a lot worse. If you are a pastor, I plead with you to break the silence and help those in your community better understand and lovingly respond to this very real issue. For those who struggle with depression as I do, please know this, you are not alone. Even the most conservative numbers I've found estimate that there are over 120 million others across the globe that struggle with depression and anxiety. They are fathers, their mothers, their sons, daughters, doctors, lawyers, teachers, entrepreneurs, and yes, even pastors who struggle just like I do. Don't ever buy into the lie that you are alone in this. Your faith is not broken. History is full of extraordinary men and women of faith who struggle with depression and anxiety. Charles Spurgeon, Martin Luther, Mother Teresa, each walked through their own dark nights of the soul. The Bible itself is full of examples. David made a habit of saying things like this, my bones are in agony, my soul is in deep anguish, I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with tears. Jonah grew so angry with God that he wanted to die. Jeremiah thought his life so void of hope or value that he cursed the very day that he was born. And Elijah was so ridden with anxiety that he begged God to just end his life. Despite their struggle, each, has, each was handpicked by God to be used in a unique and extraordinary ways. God is for you and he offers to walk with you. When Elijah became suicidal, God didn't berate him for not being joyful or having enough faith. Instead, God met him right in the middle of his struggle with tender grace. His, and his offer is that same to you. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all you that are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and lean on me. 
for I am gentle and I'm humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the kind of God that God is. He is never surprised when we find ourselves overwhelmed or exhausted. Instead, he fully expects it and he invites us to find life and rest in him. Depression is not just a spiritual issue. And sadly, Christians still tend to make the mistake of only treating difficult issues like depression spiritually. As a pastor, I am all for addressing the spiritual, but depression is far more complex to be treated so simplistically. Depression is more than just a spiritual issue. It is also a psychological one that can affect even spiritually healthy people in debilitating ways. If you are a Christian who struggles with depression, don't make the mistake of thinking you are just, just, if you just pray enough, claim enough, repent enough, or believe enough, you will be cured. This may be part of the solution, but you may also find you need treatment uh, medicinally. Say that word for me. All right, you got that word. And therapeutically as well. Each is a gift and an expression of God's grace. Please ignore anyone who tries to shame you for thinking otherwise. We can no longer afford to ignore mental health issues in the church. Though this may be new ground for many of us, we've got to lean in so that we do not make the mistake of continuing to misunderstand or mistreat the growing number who suffer among us. For some, this can literally be the difference between their life and their death. As Christians, let's commit to approach mental health issues with an extra measure of grace and humility as we seek to love and to learn together. Lord, may it be so. Statistics on suicides and meds over the last 15 years are something like this. Antidepressant prescriptions have jumped over 65% in the last 15 years in the U.S. alone. One in every eight Americans have taken an antidepressant medication in the last month. And out of 350 million people in the United States, that's over 40 million people on antidepressants. And that is up from one out of 50 just 30 years ago. The research noted that nearly one-fourth of all the people surveyed who said they've taken an anti-anxiety medication in the last month also said they've been on that same medication or one just like it over the last 10 years. They had started on it to get them through a difficult time, and 10 years later, they are still on anti-medication drugs. Americans are simply, uh, here's, look at this here, it says, it says the research noted that nearly one-fourth of the people surveyed on it 10 years later. And then several experts believe that the reason for the rise of the usage of this medication is number one, Americans are simply living more stressful lives. <laughs> Do you think? Social media continues to cause people to experience more isolation and that direct to consumer advertising has helped to enhance the mindset of just take a pill to make things better rather than to evaluate what is causing the additional stress and work on changing those issues. Suicide rate in the United States has risen 28% in the past 20 years, with the medication going up 65%. The suicide rate, along with the medication, has gone up. One person dies by suicide every 16 minutes and two seconds in the United States. So would you agree with me now, just common sense, 
that what we are doing for it is not working. Would you agree? If you've ever looked at antidepressant depressive medication, one of the suicide, one of the uh, side effects of antidepressant medication is that of suicidal thoughts and suicidal tendencies. Interesting statistic. The word depression, so that all of you will understand, is not just having a sad day. It's totally different than that. The word depression means a state of unhappiness and hopelessness, a psychiatric disorder showing symptoms such as persistent feelings of hopelessness, dejection, poor concentration, lack of energy, inability to sleep, and sometimes suicidal tendencies. Now, I just want to tell you as honestly as I possibly can, I have never been depressed like that. Never. I have never experienced any of those kind of feelings. Yet I have many friends and even a very close pastor friend that I know, and they will tell me this is a debilitating thing. It is not something they can just wish out of their life, but it is something that captivates them and controls them. And it's cost them ministries, it's cost them families, it's cost them marriages, it's cost them jobs, almost like an alcoholic. It has taken them captive and they can't do anything about it, what they say. Anxiety is a nervousness or agitation often about something that is going to happen, a concern that causes worry. Okay, guilty <laughs> of that one. And I'm not sure that there's anybody in here that's not guilty. A concern that causes worry that's out in the future. Do I have any brothers and sisters in here with me on that? All right, the rest of you need to come down here and confess lying right here in the house of God. I've had too many conversations with you in the lobby not to know that. Panic, a feeling of fear that comes on suddenly. It's overwhelming. It appears to be uncontrollable and may also seem to be unfounded. I have never suffered from that, ever. But I am very sympathetic. Now, God tells us for a good reason what we are to think about. And in Philippians chapter four and verse six, and by the way, Dan and I are gonna be doing a series. He asked me, I'm doing this with my son. He said, dad, will you do a series with me on faith? And I don't know exactly what we're gonna call it, but we're gonna be talking a little bit more about this. And I especially am gonna zoom right back in on this topic. But the Bible tells us that as children of God, what we are to think about and what we are to not think about. And the reason why God tells us what to think about is because the world tells us what it wants us to think about. So we are bombarded with all kinds of news things, all kinds of negativity, all kinds of worries about the economy, about who's in, in office, what's going on here, what's happening at your job, here comes your friends, here comes TV commercials, here comes this, here comes that. And God says, okay, I want you to stop all of that and then I want you to think about these things. And he lists those things for us in, in, in Philippians chapter four, if it's good, if it's positive, if it's of a good report, all these kinds, think on these things, he says. He says, if you're worried about something, talk to me about what you're worried about. Thank me for it. And then I'll give you a peace the world cannot give you. So he tells you, you do this, here comes peace. But if you're looking for peace in anything else without doing what I'm telling you to do, you will never have it. And then he says these words, fix your thoughts. And do you know why he tells you to fix your thoughts? I love this because your thoughts are easily broken and they have to constantly be, watch this, refixed. 
So take a look at the side screen. The idea of getting control of your thoughts will never be a one and done issue. The number one book that is sold by Joyce Myers is the book that's called The Battlefield of the Mind. And if you have been around here at any length of time whatsoever, I would tell you, and I've told you before, the greatest battle that I face is not physical. The greatest battle that I have ever faced is not something that I could lay my hands on. The greatest battle that I have faced is the one that takes place in my head at night when I'm trying to lay down and go to sleep. And it has come over and over and over again. And to fix your thoughts is an ongoing issue. It is never one and done. And I'm all for uh, deliverance. I'm all for, I call deliverance counseling on steroids. But I'm telling you, as long as your mind is not saved, and as long as your body is not saved, you will be in a continual battle with your thoughts and with your flesh. And you and I need to cut each other some slack. When it comes to being a born again child of God and blowing it with our thought life, and blowing it with our physical life from time to time. Yes, it's a battle. No, we don't give into it, but you will never. So take the guilt off of you, my brothers and sisters, because you are saved does not mean your mind is saved. And the enemy's gonna come against it with thoughts that made you think that maybe your salvation did not stick. I, uh, Love what the Apostle Paul said in uh, Acts chapter 27. He is on a ship. He's going through a difficult time. They hit a storm. He's a prisoner, by the way. They hit a storm. He's 14 days. The ship is just doing whatever the wind's making it do. The people are scared. They're throwing off cargo. And they think they're going to lose their lives. On the 14th night, they threw out a sounding or a a weighted line, and they measured they were in 200 foot of water. So they knew that land was near because they'd been in hundreds upon hundreds of feet deep of water. And they measured again very quickly and there was 90 feet. So they knew they were approaching land in the middle of the night where they could not see very rapidly. And in that dark night, they probably were gonna be broken apart and they would all die. So they threw out anchors from the back of the ship grapplings that grabbed hold of the ground under the water at 90 feet, held the boat in place, and they prayed for daylight. And when daylight came, they decided that they would go for it. There's a little beach area, so they said they were gonna go for it. They, they ran to ground early and the ship started being battered with waves, started breaking apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners that were there, including Paul. But the chief soldier said, no, 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 we're not gonna do that. Captain said, we're not gonna do that. So they all grabbed hold of little boards and they all started going for the shore and those that could swim grabbed hold of pieces of the ship. Those that, that, that couldn't swim did and those that could swim, swam for it. And um, they almost died in shallow water. They'd gone through hundreds of feet of water and now because of what their senses were telling them that was wrong, they almost drowned in shallow water. Now, not one of the 200 and something soldiers or people on the ship died, not one did, because Paul said they wouldn't, no one died. 
but they thought they were going to. Watch this. After going through 14 days of storm, their senses told them they were going to die in shallow water. Here's the second thing. You cannot trust exhausted emotions. Your emotions and feelings will lie to you. Um, my son and, and Amelie, my favorite daughter-in-law, she, uh, I watched their lives in their late 30s. Late 30s, right? And then Anna shows me stuff of those of you that are in your 20s, 30s, and early 40s. And when I talk to you and when I hear about your world and what all your kids are involved in and all the places you go and you got to do this and you got to be here and you're up at five o'clock in the morning and you got to go in there and then in bed at like 10 o'clock at night and you're eating on the run and all these kind of things. Listen, just listening to your life makes me tired. But there's nothing wrong with you being tired. But you cannot trust the gauges when your emotions and feelings are exhausted. You better lean on something different than how you feel. Because how you feel is lying to you. There's a story that I love in Genesis chapter 22. And again, guys, I'm gonna pick up more of this teaching on the series on faith. But in Genesis chapter 22, this old guy by the name of Abraham, he had a son by the name of Isaac, who was by the way a miracle, and Isaac was 13 to 20 years of age. I uh, was coming back from visiting my mom a few months ago before she went home to heaven. And as Ann and I were flying out of Orlando to head back toward Denver on this plane, it was a very hot day. And as the plane was going up, and we've flown hundreds of times, and I'm not nervous by flying at all, but as we were climbing, and on this hot particular day in Orlando, Florida, the plane hit some turbulence as it was trying to get to its cruising altitude. And then when it finally got to its cruising altitude, the turbulence were worse. And I mean, people were stumbling and the stewardesses, our flight attendants were told, please sit down by the captain and uh, uh, anything people have. I mean, the, the top, the, the, the doors were opening, luggage was falling. I mean, it was, a, it was a mess. The cart comes sliding out. I mean, it was, it was crazy, crazy stuff. And of course, Anna's like, you, you know, and I'm like, honey, come on, baby. We, it's fine. We got this. It's good. We're, we're good. And I'm freaking out, right? But she don't know it. <laughs> She don't know it. I want land. Put me on land. That's what I want. I want land. But instead of, instead of going down, the captain came on and the captain said, we've been cleared by air traffic control to climb to this altitude. Now, 36, 37, I don't know what it was. And to maintain at a smoother and smoother air. So the answer to the problem that we were facing was to climb and maintain. Climb and maintain. I wanted to go down and hug the ground. They wanted to climb and maintain. So they did. And when they got to that altitude, everything smoothed out for the rest of the flight. Abraham is tested by God according to Genesis chapter 22. God said, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac. I want you to take him on a three-day journey. I want you to go up to a mountain that I tell you to go up to, and I want you to kill and sacrifice him. Abraham said, yes, sir. He took servants. He took his son, his only son, who God promised the seed of Abraham would spread across the world. And he knew that with God's promise that through Isaac, the seed would spread across this world. He said, okay, 
this must be a test. He took fire, he took chopped wood, he took a knife, he told his servants to wait. God said, here's the mountain. And he put the wood on the back of Isaac. So Isaac couldn't have been a toddler. He put that on the, strapped it on the back of Isaac. He carried the fire and he carried the knife. Imagine this, parents. He went up to this mountain. God told him this was the place. And on the way, Isaac asked the question, Father, whom I trust, who's taking me higher, I see that we have a knife and I see that we have fire and I'm carrying the wood. Uh, where's the sacrifice? I heard you tell the servants back there that we are going up onto the mountain to worship and we will come back. But I don't see the sacrifice. Could Isaac been thinking, am I the sacrifice? The Bible says that Abraham bound him, put him on a handmade altar, raised the knife, and an angel said, stop. Because you trust me and because you believe in me, I'm gonna make you the father of many nations and your seed will spread and your blessings will fall on God's people forever and ever. And Abraham and Isaac sacrificed a ram that was in the thicket. They worshiped their heavenly father and they came back down the mountain. God did not bring any of you in this room this far in your life. You haven't gone through divorces or heartbreak or the loss of jobs. You haven't gone through the loss of loved ones or the loss of friendships through the highs and this lows and the lows of your life for you to be the sacrifice. I can't tell you how important your church family is and how special this place is as you try to do life in this world. I can't tell you how important this place is to your spiritual growth and also listen to your mental well-being. Well-being means a good, healthy, and comfortable state. A good, healthy, and comfortable state. A good, healthy, and comfortable state. We're gonna climb and maintain to a good, healthy, and comfortable state. Well, what if we get to, well, then we're gonna climb and maintain to a good, healthy, and comfortable state. How long do we have to do that? For the rest of the air that you breathe in and out of your lungs, you're gonna climb and maintain to a good and healthy and comfortable state. Climbing is prayer. God, I need you right now. I love you. I need you by my side. This situation feels uncomfortable to me. I'm lonely. I know I said I hate all men, Lord. I know I said I hate men. But Lord, I'd love to have a good man by my side. Somebody to take me to dinner. Somebody to talk to me. Somebody to make me laugh. I, I won't hate on him if you give me a good man, Lord. I was just kidding. I didn't mean it. Something in my job, Lord, my marriage, my child, I need more money. I'm fearful and you said you didn't give me the spirit of fear. Bless me indeed, expand my territory, keep your hand on me, keep me from evil. I'm climbing, I'm climbing, I'm climbing. I'm telling you all of my needs. I'm telling you how much I love you. I'm telling you thankful, how thankful I am. Worship, I'm maintaining now, I'm maintaining. 
You're above all gods. You can do anything. Look at all the stars that you created, Father. You keep them all in place. There's nothing that you can't do. There's no one that you can't conquer. You are my God and you are my Father. You can do all things. You amaze me every day. You've been so good to me. I love you, Father. What am I doing? I'm climbing and I'm maintaining. I'm praying and I'm worshiping. I'm climbing and I'm maintaining. And the problem with many people is they try to get what the results of that is without that. And then they go, kunk, glunk, glunk, glunk. Let me take another pill, glunk. But they haven't tried the climbing and the maintaining. You're my forgiver, Father. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. God, I've been needing this all week. My mind's been under attack. Now, excuse me, everybody, and just ignore me for a moment because I've got some business I've got to do in here between my heavenly father and myself. I got to get involved in the serious business of getting my joy back so everybody else in the room disappear because I'm climbing and I'm maintaining. I'm climbing and I'm maintaining. And God wants every one of you in this room to know that you are not the sacrifice. You are not the sacrifice. Matter of fact, everybody say that on the side of the screen. I am not the sacrifice. Everybody stand with me. Stand with me. Come on, get on up. Everybody tell the enemy that's coming against your mind. Say it right out loud. I am not the sacrifice. Say it to your emotions. I am not the sacrifice. Say it to your feelings. I am not the sacrifice. Say it to your soul. I am not the sacrifice. I am here to worship my heavenly father. I am here to do my life his way. I am here to get on control of the things that come up. I need to think about what I'm thinking about. And I need to line them up on a regular basis with what my heavenly father says. He says, I will give you peace that this world can never give you and will not understand. But you have got to talk to me and you have got to thank me in order for that peace to enter into your soul. You know what that tells me, brother and sister, child of God? The life you and I are living as a born again child of God is not gonna be a picnic. It's going to be a fight. <laughs> and I need people in my corner when I'm getting whooped. And I need people in my corner when I'm holding up the trophy. Because until my mind and my body is saved, I was glad when they said unto me, let me go to the house of the Lord. Because I've been beat up all week. I need to hear a song like, what was that reckless love, man? I love, just reckless, God's reckless love coming after me. I need to be reminded that to worship you, I live. No suicides in the lives of the families of the members of Fellowship Church in the name of Jesus until the Lord comes back for us. No suicides. You and your loved one are not the sacrifice. God will provide a sacrifice. You 
are a worshiper and a lover of an almighty God who loves your soul and can make anything you need come true. Just tuck into him and win. Here's the cool thing about our God. He fought the fight and you win. Did, did, did you see the verse that came up during that song and talked about him throwing the horse and the rider into the sea that's coming against you? That he's the victor. Yahweh is his name. He's a warrior. <laughs> Tuck into him. Let him win for you. And then watch how he calls you the winner. Enemies coming against your mind and your emotions and your feelings. He is. And if they were saved, well, no big deal. Push it right off. But they're not. So they sink in and you fight back. And then you're good, and then they sink in again, and then you fight back. And then everything's good, and then you have a really dark night, and then another dark night, and then another dark night, and then another dark night, and then you throw out some anchors, and you hang on to Jesus until you see daylight, and then you go for it again, and you end up on the shore, and all of a sudden you got favor. Because through your 14 darkest nights, held on to him. Can I tell you how to win a child of God through the ups and the downs, through the highs and the lows? And by the way, you have been through too many highs to let the lows define you. It's just part of it. Can I tell you how to win? You want to know? You don't talk to me. I won't talk to you. Do y'all want to know? You just keep going. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Romans 10, 9. You can do that right now. I just wanna encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on a cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week.